getting bigger well she's not really not yet Finn the (laughs) so I know we've mentioned this the cat has new two new kittens and um Finn the black one he's this like little sleek baby panther he's getting bigger (laughs) Izzy's Izzy's this adorable little like grand black tabby she's not growing she's itty bitty Izzy and will forever be itty bitty Izzy (laughs) I would say they're not gonna fit in there together for much longer but like no they'll find a way (laughs) yeah my cats do that and they're pretty big (laughs) like how are you how is this possible i i was going into my bedroom and like so i have a little cat bed at the foot of my bed that butters likes to sleep in and i see ali sitting there looming over him oh my god and i was like she's like move please (laughs) I, i was like no you will leave him alone i had to physically move her because she's such a bully. Oh she is God. so mean. Oh, you know? That's awesome. <laughs> I didn't come here. Oh, Thor's here too. Oh yeah, he's here, roaming so, around. You you're can... gonna hear his collar. It's gonna happen. It's like you can come over here, but you're gonna have to sit. Yeah. Oh, we'll settle down eventually. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah. So you're. You've had. You've been on vacation. How's yeah, that been? it's been great. Yeah. I had all the plans to do all the things, and I didn't do any of the things, and I'm not mad about it. <laughs> no, that's good. You. You were getting burned out so yeah. I'm glad you you took the time to yourself and me too it's a good way to like yes. go in and restart and recharge be a new, new hobby oh, wow Thor was brave new, uh, yeah space. Thor was trying to die by putting his face in front of Jasmine <laughs> oh my god they seem to be getting a little more acclimated yeah they're pretty much I mean we didn't have any issues Izzy and uh, Thor's Finn drinking still, water right now yeah. sorry you guys were just gonna get background <laughs> noise it's just gonna happen <laughs> But yeah, they're all they're all getting used to it. The kittens are kind of weirded out by him just because he's huge and they're not yeah. used to dogs. So I can tell they're curious though. Like yeah. Izzy, um, so Thor was standing by me and I went to go pet Finn in it and Izzy, and she was like wanting to come out mm-hmm. but not ready. Yeah. So yeah, I mean she's tiny. It's a big big world out there. <laughs> yeah, she's, I mean he's he's big to me. So yeah, the first time I met him, I was just like. That's not a baby poodle. <laughs> no, he looks so small in pictures, but... He does. Yeah. It's very deceptive. He's only... He turned a year in March, or April. I'm very proud of him. He, um... So this is my third time meeting Thor, and, like, even the second time, he seemed like he didn't remember me. Yeah. He was still barking, yeah. but he... He did really good today. Yeah, so... Yay. Improvement. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited. We'll, we'll see how much of an improvement when I go to work on Monday. <laughs> yeah. I think he'll do great, but... He's still got work to do, but... <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited because I get to. I mean, it's no dolphin, but I get to work with animals in my job. So, are you officially moving into your new position and yeah, yeah, Hell yeah. finally <laughs> on Monday? Yeah, three months later. <laughs> I can't so. tell you how many people I've talked to. Um, where I work, where you work, other people—they're just like, yeah, I got this new position. It's a promotion, but I'm stuck in this limbo of mm-hmm. like two jobs and after a point it's just like 
That's kind of why I left my old it's job. Just not, <laughs> it's not fair. And I, I know I was telling you and I was telling a couple of other people, like, it's not their responsibility or your no. responsibility. Like, it's, such a, it's such a common thing yeah. to for people who work their asses off and get shit done to just have stuff constantly piled on top yeah. of them because their boss knows they're, they're like, going to get it done. We won't let you go yeah. because you're the only one who knows this. Yeah. And it's like, is that really true? Yeah. Like, it, people will struggle for a bit. Because, you know, when we got into our positions, oh yeah, it's like, I didn't have that transition period. It no. was like, here you go. It's like, but... here, those are the sharks. Say hi. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's one thing to like, be like, okay, you're going to have two to three weeks to train. But lately I've been hearing people say it's been like two to three months, which is just Yeah. Well, I wasn't even ridiculous. really, <laughs> the, part, the thing with me is I wasn't even training. Like, yeah. Because I was waiting for, because we had done it. We had this whole plan. Because my captain is very, she's very organized and likes to get stuff done. And she's like, okay, we're going to make you a floating position. And then we're going to put someone in your spot. We're going to have you start training them yeah. and blah, blah. And it was like, perfect. But then HR was like, no, you can't have a floating position. You have to replace, you have to move her out of her, me, out of her position, find her replacement and then go from there. So I was like, you just want no one in that spot? Like, that's not okay. <laughs> that's so, frustrating. Yeah. yeah, welcome to HR. <laughs> yeah. It's stupid. Well, you're not listening to a podcast about no, HR. You're not. <laughs> you are listening to Difficult Damsels. Yay. I'm Rachel. I'm Kat. Yay, I kept it like simple. You did. I'm really proud. <laughs> um, and we have made it to 20 episodes. That's insane. Isn't it? That's crazy. It's crazy. I love it. <laughs> the stream we had however many years ago. It's kind of cool to be like we actually have a body of work now that we can present to the world and i i think i texted you the other day did you i yeah i mean you I did just, but... I, yeah i mean what, what didn't i text you about uh, lots no, of cat I, pics yeah you get lots of cat pics um but i love i love our name like oh yeah difficult damsels I, I don't remember how i found that but it was i think i think it's like trolling through instagram or something and i just saw those two words together it was a poem oh, yeah it was Didn't a, I send it to you? You did. Yeah. And I was like, that's a brilliant name. Yeah. Let's use it. Yeah. Yeah. It so. was just talking about the strength of women and not conforming to gender expectations. Yeah. And yeah. And that's. And yeah. We were like, that's perfect <laughs> for our podcast that we don't have right now. But now we have. Now we have one. And we're 20 episodes in. We're 20 episodes that's in. Exciting. I know. I know. And this, <laughs> I feel like for me, this episode was truly a labor of love because life has been very busy lately <laughs> yes and um i'll talk a little bit about the book i used for my source but i i like to finish the books like yeah. it could have been theory i, I had the meat of the information finish. <laughs> hey finishing is important, it's important. <laughs> but um yeah just kind of trying to get back into the swing of things of life which is still weird up in the air because of yeah. everything going on with COVID. But um, yeah, that balance between work, podcast, socializing, and like finding time for yourself kicked my butt these past few weeks. I just so. don't do the socializing part as a rule. <laughs> I know. I, but hey, I'm I mean, proud we of you do. For we, you and I socialize. That's true. Um, I have, I have a close knit circle of friends that I, care about yeah so I want to make sure I'm present but that's the thing like if I can't be present then I yeah will retreat yeah. so yeah yeah anyway I feel that in my soul. <laughs> episode 20 is on 
Photica. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, um, funny story, you know, how you mentioned for Grace O'Malley, you watched Lucy Lawless's Warrior Women. Yes. Did you watch the episode? I did. I watched yes. the episode on Photica. So. I, got, I was kind of hoping you would because I saw that and I sent it to you and I was like, yeah. oh, Grace. And then, <laughs> yeah, there's Grace is on there. Um, Mulan is on there. Something else we did was on there. We did. Maybe? It was Bathory, wasn't it? Maybe. I think I might be right. I think you're right. <laughs> Is she she wouldn't be considered a warrior woman, though. But she, Maybe it wasn't her. I don't, I don't know. know. We'll have to go look. Yeah. They're, they had um, a Native American woman in the, from the United States was episode five. So I might look into her. I think that would be really cool. Yes. Um, but yeah, so episode 20 is Bodica. So who is Bodica? So in the middle of the first century... The Roman Empire looked to expand west and venture where Julius Caesar had initially attempted to go in triumph, where he had failed. Starting in the southeastern portion of England, Rome slowly crept its way up the island and subjugated the local tribes, absorbing them into the empire. It was on the eastern side of England that Rome's insatiable appetite for colonialism finally hit a brick wall in the form of a young queen named Bodica. In Bodica, <laughs> love your enthusiasm. <laughs> so in Bodica, the tribes of ancient Britain found a leader to rally behind and lead a revolt against the imperialistic heel of Rome. Bodica was a unique feminine figure of the time period, and history remembers her paradoxically as both a protective mother and a relentless warrior queen. Following the brutal treatment of her family at the hands of Roman soldiers, Bodica's battle cry will demand one of two things from her people. Reclaim Britannia from Rome or die trying. Damn, that is wow. <laughs> not a tall order. No, no, at no, all. no, no. But I, I'm gonna say it again. I keep saying it, but I just love how the Romans could have easily avoided. They could easily avoid all of the the big people that stand up against them because have you noticed that there's a theme of all the people who stand up against Rose, or Rose against Rome, Rome is because they were wronged by Rome. <laughs> if you just leave people alone, Rome. <laughs> Is the superior empire, and those tribes don't know any better. So Rome is there, just like England with Ireland, with her warm, welcoming, open arms. Just getting weird. (laughs) Rome is there to show them the right way. Find a stabby stab weapon and just stab somebody. (laughs) There's gonna be lots of stabby stab in this episode. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's just the audacity. Well, that's imperialism. Well, I mean. Yes, Rome has all these uprises because no group of people is going to want to have somebody else's culture imposed on them. Yeah, Yeah, but I mean, Rome was in power for as long as it was because of their military, their legions, and and even if people rose up, it's not like it lasted for a long time. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Put your dick away, Rome. Okay. Put your dick away. <laughs> Every imperialistic country out there, put your dick yeah, down. Please, God. <laughs> All right, so a little bit of historical context time. 31 CE, Jesus Christ is allegedly crucified. From 40 to 43 CE, the Trung sisters lead an uprising against the Han Dynasty in ancient Vietnam. I remember those guys <laughs> on elephants. <laughs> yes. 
In 43 CE, the Roman conquest of Britain begins. From 41 to 54 CE, Buddhist monks in Sri Lanka write down the Buddha's teachings. In 49 CE, Agrippina the Younger marries Emperor Claudius and becomes the Empress of Rome. In 59 CE, Agrippina the Younger is murdered by her son, Nero. <laughs> You're going to be saying a lot of that in this episode because this is all oh, during his time period. Oh, yeah. yeah. And one year after the death of Agrippina, in 60 CE, Queen Boudicca of the Iceni tribe in, in England leads a revolt against Rome and burns three major Roman settlements to the ground. Can we call Agrippina's death a glorious death? Because it fucking was. It was a very glorious death, but then oh. everything went to shit in Rome. Yes. Yeah. We're going to find out. Fucking here. Well, this is a Roman province. But anyway, yeah, Nero. <laughs> this is all about Nero. Wait, didn't he change his name? No. Oh. Well, he oh, started that was Octavian. Never mind. Yeah, Octavian became they're Augustus. All the they're douchebags. They all, they're all Gaius. They're There's all another Gaius in this. Douchebagius. <laughs> um, all right. So I, I did want to do a little disclaimer at the top of this episode. We will be discussing situations involving sexual assault and extreme violence in war. In the case of the former, we'll include timestamps in the show notes so that anyone that does not want to listen to that content may skip it. Um, I won't dwell on it, but the sexual assault that occurs is the catalyst for the events yeah. that we're about to talk about. Yeah. All right. So a little bit, um, just wanted to do a little bit of a discussion on the sources um, of all of the information we get about Bodica. So our two primary sources for Bodica are... how she says we like I actually <laughs> research, guys. <laughs> Um, our two primary sources are Tacitus and Cassius Dio. If you listen to our Agrippina and Cleopatra episodes, you are probably already familiar with these names. We like to refer to them as our crazy history uncles. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yes. This is not the history daddy or whatever the fuck. No, that was Herodotus. Oh. And that name is just so awkward too, so it's like... Mm, it's very appropriate for a history yeah, daddy. Yeah, it is. It's very <laughs> I don't know why, but you're right. I know! <laughs> Sounds very phallic. It does! You're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, similar to Cleopatra, Boudicca's story is written by her enemies. We do not have any contemporary sources from ancient Britain that wrote of her. Even Boudicca's speeches are penned by Roman hands. So, keep that in mind this whole time. Yeah. She doesn't have a voice of her own. Of course not. Ironically, we get conflicting views of Boudicca from the Roman sources. We see her as a wife, a mother, and a queen, but she is also a rebel and a renegade to some, a savage and a barbarian to others. This is the lens for which we get to view Bodica. She is paradoxically a good woman and a bad woman all at the same time. To the Romans, she would have been the boogeyman, or in this case, boogie woman, <laughs> <laughs> hiding under the bed to scare naughty children into going to sleep. That sounds like a weird dance boogie woman let's do the boogie woman yeah. <laughs> that's the pause dance that's the pause dance <laughs> to the ancient brits she was a resistance fighter and a warrior queen who fought for the freedom of her people when tacitus and cassius dio wrote of Bodica, they did so to juxtapose her against the corrupt leadership of rome at the time this is the context for which we get Bodica's story the people that wrote about Bodica did so in the context of comparing her to the evil women of Rome that schemed their way to power by way of greed, seduction, and sorcery. 
let me let me put that in uh, words we all know to be true. Um, the women who literally made them feel like little inferior men. <laughs> yeah, they emasculated them. Yeah, they were better. <laughs> yeah, well, in every way. Agrippina was anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Unchecked feminine power had led to the decline of morality in the Julio-Claudian dynasty. It started with Emperor Claudius, who was criticized for being ruled by his freedmen and his women, specifically Messalina and Agrippina. After Claudius is allegedly murdered by his last wife, Agrippina, she'll go on to become the most powerful woman Rome has ever known and schemes to put her son Nero on the throne. Go listen to the Agrippina episodes yeah. if you haven't already. Um, yeah. Her story is wild. We're 20 episodes in. Go back to the beginning if you haven't started. <laughs> And for a short time, life is grand for her until Nero has her killed. Nero becomes the final product of that corruption. Born of a woman that schemed for power, Nero is written as a man coded as feminine due to his interest in music and theater, his lust for power, luxury, and flesh, and his lack of attention to the governance of his empire. A woman such as Bodica is only able to rise because a man such as Nero rules in Rome. His men are corrupt because he is corrupt, and so the provinces suffer. Uh, he's just a piece of shit, but y'all are pieces of shit. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, What is accountability? Is this still, <laughs> is this still considered patricide if you kill your mother? That's still patricide. That's matricide. Right? Patricide, patricide is with your father. I knew it. I was like, yeah. okay, this sounds like patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is, matricide. but this is all the patriarchy. And it has nothing to do with the fact that he killed his mother, like, at all. <laughs> no, not at all. No, 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 Why would that no. be? The gods are like, what the fuck? And killed him, probably. <laughs> That's why your your freaking empire went to shit. Because the gods are like, fuck you. <laughs> I mean, his empire went to shit because he didn't pay attention. He didn't he was care. His, yeah. Well, but then, again, but then again, he was like put into this role when he was like 14 or 15. So it's like, he didn't even get a choice. He was told he was a god. So he acted accordingly. Yeah. We tell each other we're cops all the time, but we don't do this weird, <laughs> shit, this weird shit, okay? We don't commit matricide. No, 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 no. <laughs> now, Bodica paradoxically is held up as a mirror to chastise Roman men. Here <laughs> is a warrior woman that is almost more of a man than the men in Rome. It is, said it. <laughs> it is the moral failure of Rome that has led to revolts in Britain in these stories has nothing to do with the fact that you're coming in hot trying to take over their culture and make their yours not their at own. all no why would that be a problem no way no <laughs> that's not it guys come on <laughs> now on the flip side celtic women were afforded more freedoms than their roman counterparts several tribes allowed for queen regnants remember we discussed that word before it means women that rule in their own rights not because they married a king um, anyway, so these Celtic tribes had queen regnants, and they also were able to lead men into battle. Yeah. The idea of a woman ruling in Rome was abhorrent and repulsive. It seems that certain tribes in ancient Britain felt differently, and although the level of autonomy and power a woman could hold varied from tribe to tribe, they still enjoyed significantly more freedom than the Roman women. Who literally wanted them to sit in the corner and shut up. Yeah. But smile also well. <laughs> yeah. They can do all their politicking like in the bedroom. Behind the screen. It. Yeah. Behind the screen. In behind the, the fucking screen. <laughs> one final note. By the time Bodica comes to power, ancient Britain is not one singular kingdom. It is more a collection of tribes or kingdoms. And those tribes were as likely to be at war with one another as they were to be allied. All 
right. So. <laughs> you guys, she danced that out. It was the cutest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so I gave you a little bit of a context for the story we're about to tell. And now I'm going to give you a brief history lesson on the history of Rome in Britain. Are you history ready? lesson on the history yes. in the history podcast uh-huh. yeah so much history <laughs> so much history such guys. history such She's wow about to shove history <laughs> you're gonna enjoy you're it you're gonna like it <laughs> sorry <laughs> so julius caesar our bestie oh. <laughs> led the original foray into southeast britain when he landed on the shores of kent and although he was able to establish a tentative foothold he had other things to distract him and take him away from the island i.e. murdering all the Gauls, literally in like across the channel yeah. in France. Yeah. He's a good guy. Um, I'm going to have pictures for you, so you can oh, no, pull that yeah. up on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> These pictures will also be available when we uh, post this episode on she Facebook. She told me that, and I have the uh, attention span of a nap, so <laughs> I've instantly forgotten. <laughs> so basically, Kent is in the southeastern portion, like the heel of Britain. Okay. And that's where he came in. So he ultimately abandons the island to pursue other pursue. <laughs> to pursue new word. other ambitions, which we mentioned wholesale genocide. Cleopatra was part of that, you know, becoming the singular ruler of Rome, just to name a few. Um more than 23 scabbles, but <laughs> He does suggest to his colleagues, though, that Britain is a worthy pursuit for the future. Now, Britain, right after we kill all these fucking innocent people because yeah. we can. <laughs> Britain thus becomes this exotic northern realm that has remained largely untouched. Caesar describes the area as being overrun with strange barbarians that engage in guerrilla warfare, utilizing the land to their advantage and relying less on the straightforward warfare tactics Roman legions were known to employ. He noted their warriors fought without any fear of death and that they often rode into battle on horses and chariots. Oh, yeah, and they also revere these, like, strange nature-based priests called druids. Druids! (laughs) Now, as Britain was located on an isolated island, Rome did not view it to be much of a threat, and so ambitions to conquer the island were abandoned for a time. The door has been opened, though. Rome will be busy stamping down rebellions from client kingdoms left and right for several decades, but trade remains open between the British island and Rome. Back in ancient Britain, the city of Camulodunum. I can't tell you how many times I've had to practice that name. <laughs> you did good. <laughs> I don't em- know if it's right, but you were confident. I'm pretty sure. Um, it emerges as the trading hub of southeastern Britain. And fun little fact, Camulodunum was named for the Celtic god of war, Camulus. Yes! Another <clears throat> fun little random pageant. Um, so in Assassin's Creed Valhalla, literally... Yeah. Right before I was getting ready to do my research on Bodica, I make it to the city of Camulodunum. It's my favorite city in the whole game so far because oh, yes. it has, <laughs> um, it has all these like ancient Roman columns literally all over the city, and so you get to like bounce from column to column, and it has like flags between the columns, so you just get to run like above the entire city. Yes, it's so awesome. cool. And I then still I have to play that game. I came across the codex entry about Bodica. I was just like, yes, yes my girl. <laughs> it's like this is why I play this game because I get to be a sneaky little ninja and I get history. Yes. <laughs> anyway, back to our story. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so it will not be until 43 CE that Rome would invade Britain again in earnest. Enter Claudius. You remember him, don't you? 
He was the dude that was found hiding behind a curtain. Oh yeah, this bitch. <laughs> Goes on to marry Messalina and Agrippina. Messalina has like an open affair and tries to marry somebody else while still married to him. That's not a problem, Rachel. Go listen to the Agrippina episodes. They're crazy. <laughs> Lots of drama. <laughs> so by the time we get to Claudius, we are nearing the end of the Julian-Claudian dynasty, which had been the first dynasty of what we now know as the Roman Empire. This would be one of Emperor Claudius's major military claims to fame, although he only ends up conquering Camulodunum and leaves his governor to take on the rest of southeastern Britain. He claims to have conquered the whole island upon returning to Rome. That sounds like something that you guys would take on. <laughs> in honor of his the governor's like, what the fucking shit? <laughs> in honor of his glory, Claudius gets to celebrate a triumph and whatever doubts the Romans had of the man that hid behind a curtain when it came time to step up as emperor seem to have been swept under the rug from this point on. Oh yeah, this is also the time he renames his son Britannicus. Oh god, I forgot about that. <laughs> you forgot about poor Britannicus? I did for like a second. Poisoned by Nero at the dinner table? It's fine. It's fine. Nero's not great, guys. Nero's not a good dude. <laughs> But let's be honest, not a lot of Roman men are. Yeah, most of them are. No. <laughs> Afterwards, southeastern Britain officially becomes a province of the Roman Empire, and Camulodunum is named as the Colonia, which essentially serves as the capital of the province. In order to properly run a province, Rome assigns two very powerful positions that essentially share in the governance of the land. The first is the procurator who is in charge of all financial and administrative affairs in the Roman province, i.e. he's the tax collector. The second is the governor, who oversees all military affairs in the province. The two names you'll need to know for our story are Catus Decianus, who was assigned as the procurator, and Gaius Suetonius Polinus, who is the governor. <laughs> What's wrong with three Roman names. Nothing at all. <laughs> that's how you knew, if you're reading the ancient sources, that's how you know it's a, like, Roman-born citizen. They have three names. It's like a thing. Yeah. Anyway. Of the two, Suetonius is the more formidable. Decianus is your typical greedy, money-extorting, mustache-twirling villain, but Suetonius is the one with the legions. Shortly after establishing their new province in Britain, the Romans did what they always did whenever they conquered a new area. They attempted to impose their own cultural values and practices on the local British tribes and resisted any attempts to assimilate native customs that already existed at the time. Tacitus observed that the thing that worked against the Britons and aided in Rome's conquests of Britain was the fact that the tribes seldom ever worked together. The ferocity of their fighting was never in question but they were easily divided and conquered because they lacked a central figure to unite them all under one cause. Not long after, Roman architecture starts to appear in Camulodunum. A temple to Claudius is built within the city, and priests devoted to the temple impose taxes on the local populace for its upkeep. It's intriguing that they build temples to their leaders and not their gods. I mean, obviously they build them to their gods too. So, but... it's funny you should say that. Great. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but after Claudius dies, Nero and Agrippina deify him. Yeah. Oh. So he died. Gotcha. He's deified. Agrippina's the high priestess of the Claudian cult, and they build the temple. And the high priestess of the house of Cat. 
Okay. <laughs> I will come out with my headdress later. <laughs> in time, natives viewed <laughs> In time, natives viewed the temple as a symbol to their lost freedom. Ooh. Enter Bodica. So we don't have an exact birth date for Bodica, but historians place it sometime around 30 CE. Little is known about her childhood or her upbringing, and we are not even sure if she was a member of the Iceni by birth or through her marriage to King Prastigus of the Iceni. So <laughs> Sorry, that's, one more, one more that's, time on that name. It's actually Prastigus. Prasutigus. Prasutigus. It's aggressive. Prasutigus, yes. <laughs> so the Iceni tribe is, um, if you pull up the pictures, this first one, if you make it bigger, the Iceni are, oh, it's kind of, yeah, there it is. Oh, I see. So it's kind of in the upper portion of the heel to the right of yeah. Lower Britain. Anyway, so we don't know if she married into them or if she was born into them, but that's the tribe she ends up leading. What we do know about her youth is mostly assumption. She would have likely come of age in a time when Claudius invaded Britain and witnessed the gradual influx of Roman troops into the area and the assimilation of Roman architecture in cities like Camulodunum and Londinium. Londinium is London. Yes. <laughs> the Iceni tribe itself was located in modern-day Norfolk County in portions of Cambridgeshire and Suffolk. From what we know of the Iceni tribe, they appeared to be wealthy and heavily invested in horses. They had several denominations of coinage, much of which displayed images of both women and horses, which may suggest that the presence of female warriors was common within the tribe. After Claudius conquered Camulodunum, the Iceni become allies of Rome and were afforded some autonomy over their land. But despite being allies of Rome, the Iceni were still subject to Roman law that refused all local tribes the right to carry weapons except when hunting. Excuse me? So they basically can't defend themselves. Cool. Yeah, why would that be an issue? No, no, no. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, they revolted along with a couple of neighboring tribes in 47 CE. I don't know if you remember, we briefly mentioned in the Agrippina episodes the Celtic king, I think it's uh, Caraticus. Sure. So that this was when Agrippina sat on the dais directly next oh, yeah. to Emperor Claudius, yeah. and he bowed to both of them. So it's that, that dude. Gotcha. Gotcha. Anyway, so he... He led the first rebellion. But that revolt was short-lived as each tribe revolted independently of one another. Guys, come on. (laughs) So basically, each tribe was revolting against the harsh treatments they had suffered as individual tribes rather than the fact that they were being occupied by a foreign military presence. (laughs) That just doesn't make sense. (laughs) Well, again, these are, you have to think of them as like the Greek city-states during the Persian Empire. They're, they're not, they're, they're like little kingdoms. Yeah. They don't work together. Because yeah. before Rome, they just fought one another. Yeah. In time, the Iceni were said to form another alliance with Rome. And this is right around the time we first hear about Bodica's husband, King Prastigus. Prasutigus. <laughs> These names are so hard. <laughs> Prasutigus. Whether or not he was acknowledged as king before the first revolt or after is kind of unclear, and some sources even suggest that he aided Rome in subduing revolts from the other tribes. 
Afterwards, he is acknowledged as the client king of Britain in Rome, so we can assume that he was a pro-Roman ruler. In time, though, we know the alliance slowly fell apart, and there were a multitude of variables that helped create the perfect environment for a revolt to occur. So chief among the reasons for unrest was money. In addition to taxes levied against the natives, Cassius Dio mentions that Emperor Nero's dude bro Seneca... I forgot about Seneca! (laughs) He issued loans with egregious interest rates, and he knew the British tribes would be unable to honor them, and then demanded the return of all of the loans without so much as a warning. Yeah, that sounds right. Another factor. <laughs> yeah. Another factor. Governor Gaius Suetonius Paulinus also attacked the island of Mona, which is modern-day Ainsley in northern Wales. This had been a religious refuge and a centralized place of power for the Druids. The religious tolerance Romans were typically known to employ with the kingdoms they conquered was completely ignored here. In addition to murdering the Druids, their sacred groves were also destroyed. Well, isn't it because the Druids, um, they weren't just priests, but they were like, they held all the knowledge and they collected all the knowledge? I'm pretty sure. We're going to Oh, great. Okay. talk about that a little okay. bit. Jump ahead, <laughs> as always. Um, that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So Knowledge is power. The Romans are not exactly knowledgeable in a lot of things. <laughs> so Tacitus wrote the following of this event. Afterwards, a garrison was set over the conquered, and their groves, sacred to their savage beliefs, were cut down, for they considered it lawful to anoint the altars with captive blood and to consult the gods with the entrails of men. Tacitus suggests that Suetonius destroyed it because it was a site of human sacrifice. But from what we understand of the Druids, they were also a religious order that operated outside the other tribes of Britain, and thus were able to communicate with all of them freely. This made them dangerous as they had the potential to unite all the tribes. And it has also been suggested that Mona was a place that refugees from the previous revolt had fled to for sanctuary. Wanting no evidence of that revolt, he set out to destroy the Druids and refugees both. So there is a combination of things going on here. Yeah. Um, the human sacrifice thing is interesting because the Romans claim to be against it, but they do the same thing. Yeah, they do that shit all the time. I sent you that excerpt about the Vestal Virgins and yeah. what happens. But it's different, Rachel. If one of them... It's different, Rachel. Like, goes against their vows of chastity. They're buried alive, yeah. by the way. So, it's yeah. Disgusting. So, human ritual sacrifice, the Romans did no, it Rachel, too. they were punishing her for not hanging with her this. Self, I don't know. <laughs> For not being chased. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to make it sound cooler. I just died in my room. <laughs> now the final straw came following the death of King Prasutagus. In return for his compliance with Rome, Prasutagus and his tribe enjoyed considerable independence. To ensure their continued independence, Prasutagus pledged half his kingdom to Emperor Nero in his will, and the other half to his two daughters. Um, Nero doesn't need anything else. When Prasutagus died, his will was ignored by the procurator of Roman Britain, and his lands were confiscated. Of course. I mean, he did that because... So, so the whole will thing has been speculated on because some people were like... It's more than likely he understood that it's still going to pass into the power of Nero, but he's trying to appease him. Yeah. 
And he, we don't know what he really expected for his daughters, but if anything, he expected that they would be treated accordingly and with the respect he had been, and then they could potentially... Yeah, but look at the way Romans treat their women. That's never going to happen, honey. He doesn't see that. I know. It's annoying. (laughs) He should know. Doesn't he have a telephone? Can't he use the Googles? No. There is no Google in in the Iron Age, cat. (laughs) Damn it! (laughs) In the chaos that followed, Persutigus and Bodica's two daughters were raped by Roman soldiers, and then Bodica herself was beaten while their lands were confiscated. This was devastating for Bodica and her family for obvious reasons. Historians suggest that Bodica was likely 30 years old at the start of the rebellion. This meant her daughters would have been in their early teens at the absolute most, but it's likely they were even younger when they endured their trauma. That's disgusting. Yeah not great no in addition to suffering an indescribable violation and and humiliation at the hands of the romans we have to remember that the horror would have had long-lasting ramifications virginity was practically a currency in this time period to violate bodica's daughters in such a manner was to essentially spoil them and potentially prevent them from seeking advantageous marriages in the future and it had the potential to end their dynasty and then there's also worst case scenario they end up pregnant with their mm. rapist babies yeah. so all of these things contribute to Bodica's horror and rage yeah. when Persutigus was the client king it is entirely likely that he and his family had also attained the status of Roman citizens and in theory to be a Roman citizen meant that you could expect the protection of Rome so long as you traveled within her borders To violate a Roman citizen was a big deal. It would have guaranteed the full weight of Roman justice for the assailant, or at least it should have. The treatment of Bodica and her family revealed something horrific. It didn't matter if you were a Roman citizen or not. Rome did not respect you. Rome viewed you as less than human. Bodica's grievances became a rallying cry for all of Britannica. It is not just the violation of her daughter she fights for. Britannica is tired of having her lands raped and pillaged. She is tired of her children being stolen and and sold into slavery. She is tired of Rome prospering on the backs and labor of her people. Britannica, like Bodica, is done with Rome. Yes. (laughs) It's about to get worse. (laughs) For everyone. (laughs) For everyone in now, following the death of Persutigus, Bodica appears to take his place as the leader of the Iceni tribe. Cassius Dio refers to Bodica as a queen, and so that is how history remembers her, but the title itself is somewhat questionable. The Romans were reluctant to bestow the title of queen upon a woman, especially when that woman operated in leadership without a man at her side. It was dangerous, as previously evidenced by Cleopatra. On top of that, we have no contemporary sources to confirm whether the Iceni afforded her the title themselves. So she may have been something a little more akin to like a chieftain's wife. Yeah. Whatever the title, Bodica does emerge as the indisputable leader of her tribe. And in the spirit of keeping things simple, we will continue to refer to her as a queen ourselves. As previously mentioned, both Tacitus and Cassius Dio wrote of Bodica, and when they are writing, they are doing so with a very specific agenda in mind, and so two different versions of Bodica emerge. Tacitus's version of Bodica is a fierce mother defending her daughters, rallying the native Britons for the sake of freedom against tyranny and servitude. 
In his version, Bodica properly navigates the role of femininity in defense of her family and her people. When she gathers all her enemies together, Tacitus writes that she addressed the crowd atop a chariot with her two daughters at her side as living personifications of her ravaged country. And this is her speech. It is customary for Britons to fight under the leadership of a woman, but at this moment I am not acting as a woman born of great ancestors seeking a kingdom and wealth. Instead, I am one woman from the crowd seeking to avenge lost freedom, a body weakened by beating, the violated chastity of my daughters. Roman lusts are so advanced and they leave no bodies, not even old age or maidenhood, undefiled. Cassius Dio also wrote at this moment, saying that the one considered worthy of leading them and who directed the conduct of the entire war was Bodica, a woman of Britain of royal descent who had greater intelligence than women often have. <laughs> Honey, just, just a minute. She had greater intelligence than you as well. <laughs> Dio's version of Bodica. Hey, that whole like backhanded compliment thing drives me insane. Cassius I can't Dio. give her a compliment, but she's also really cool. <laughs> Cassius Dio, like you can tell you can tell his mother hated him or something. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. he just hates women. Oh, God. Well, he hates women because Rome basically hates women. They don't hate women outright. But they They're hate They're afraid women. of them. Yeah. Yeah. Dio's version of Bodica is more savage, and she defies the gender norms established for men and women in Rome as well. This is what he says of her. Can't wait. <laughs> she was quite tall in stature, very stern in appearance. Her gaze was most piercing, and her voice was rough. Furthermore, an abundance of golden hair fell down to her buttocks, and she wore a large gold necklace. She wore a multicolored tunic and fastened a cloak around her with a brooch. Thus, she was always dressed. So, Thus, she was all oak. Oh, okay. Wow, I interpreted that. But, so I'm going to explain why this... He just explained this... her outfit instead of, like, anyway. Her outfit is masculine. I'm going to go into that. How dare she? So the large gold necklace, I have an image of the torque. Oh, that's a necklace. Yes. yes. So it's basically a I'm, large... I'm such a... I thought they were... I thought it was a Viking bracelet, too. But yeah, so... <laughs> I thought it was <laughs> This large ring worn around the neck denotes a level of leadership within the tribes of the area. How do you turn your head with that on? You probably just... Stabs you in the neck. <laughs> it, you probably can open it a little bit. And then you, like, shimmy your you neck see inside. the tree trunk that is my neck? There's no <laughs> opening that to get it around my neck. <laughs> so the really, oh. the really interesting thing is when the leader dies, the torque will be broken in half so that no one else can use it. Wow. And the torque is also made of eight... Um, golden bands that are woven together so that was a a style of jewelry and goldsmithing that was very unique to this cool. area of the world i like it it's cool it's aggressive but it's cool yeah it, it is aggressive sorry now the cloak is also a code in roman masculine observation as it indicates she is dressed for the battlefield yeah because she's going to battle Bodica is essentially wearing men's clothes and functioning in a role typically reserved exclusively for men, at least in Rome. See, she's leading a battle. So it's basically the equivalent of Joan of Arc is wearing pants. <sighs> yeah. I didn't, so I didn't mention it in um, Agrippina's episode, but she has an instance where she's wearing the same exact thing. And she is criticized for wearing the mantle of a man. She's like, or it's, it's the cloak. And I wore it. 
What the fuck? <laughs> Stop being so small dick minded. <laughs> One of the tribes Bodica ends up allying with is the Trinavantes tribe that controlled the area just south of Iceni lands. So if you look at your map, yes, yes, yes. Look for the Trinavantes tribe. Probably don't have my glasses on. <laughs> so this area contains the city of Camulodunum. You find it? Nope, I'm blind. <laughs> so, oh, right there underneath. Yeah, there's Camulodunum. Got it. Okay. Just or Colchester. And um, yeah, it's. I did. I said it's literally below. Oh, I was looking right. <laughs> So they had every reason to hate Rome themselves as Camulodunum was a Roman settlement that had been built in, on their stolen lands. Wow. It's suggested that as many as 120,000 people came together to form the army. We're also told that before Bodica led her troops to their first target, she called upon the British goddess of victory, Andraste, to aid them in their upcoming endeavor. Um, so interesting little fact about Andraste and Bodica's name. The root of Bodica's name in Celtic is also a reference to victory. So she was basically Queen Victoria. Yes. And in the game's Dragon Age, oh, the no. <laughs> the prophetess of the maker, who was basically like the Jesus Christ equivalent, mm -hmm. her name's Andraste. So I was like, so that's where that comes from. I like it. I, like it. <laughs> I really like the name. It's pretty. Yeah, it is pretty. Now, the first target of the revolt was the city of Camulodunum. It served as the capital of Roman Britain and was the designation of a Roman veteran colony. This was essentially the reason the land was stolen from the Trinovantes tribe. It served as a settlement for retired Roman soldiers, and in addition to serving as a reward for services rendered, veterans would have been expected to introduce natives to Roman culture and government, as well as serve as a buffer against troublesome na native tribes. So you're not really retired. No. Sorry. I mean, you get to, like, go out there and, like, plow the land, but also if the natives get restless, you're expected to pick your sword back up again. It's it's more of a retired life than the legions, yeah. but... Yeah. You're a reserve is what you are. <laughs> On top of that, the city also served as a center for Roman influence. The city had been built in the template of Roman architecture with grid-like streets, a theater, and Roman bathhouses. The main focal point of the city had been the temple to Claudius. This temple was funded by taxes from the locals, and natives to the area were often forced to serve as priests in the temple. Forced to serve as priests? Yeah. Everything about that sentence is fucked. Yes. <laughs> this whole situation oh, is fucked. I know, but like everything about that sentence that you just said is fucked. <laughs> Jeez. You can't for I'm not even yeah, well, as you can see, target, targeting Camulodunum was deliberate. Yeah, I would have targeted that city too. <laughs> so the interesting thing about Camulodunum is that it was woefully undefended. Being a predominantly Roman settlement and a center for trade, it did not have any walls. The bulk of its defenses came in the form of defensive ditches made around the city, but it proved vulnerable to Bodica's army. Upon hearing of the march on Camulodunum, Decianus Catus sends only 200 men to thwart the oncoming horde. It's likely that he grossly underestimated the size of Bodica's army, and they were completely overrun. Wow. So, the ditches, is it basically like an empty moat? Yeah, you just like, you build a hole, or you dig a hole or in the ground. Or is it one of those ditches where you put the spiky spikes Yes. Up? Gotcha. Yeah. Yes, you put the spiky the spikes spiky up. Spikes. <laughs> You guys can't see my hand motions, but they're pretty great. 
Now, Camulodunum finds itself under siege once Bodica's army arrives, and after two days, the entire city is set on fire. Oh, shit. We're told that the citizens had retreated to the temple for refugee. Anyone caught inside refuge. the temple... Yes, refuge. Sorry. No, you're right. <laughs> anyway, they were in the temple. Anyone caught outside... They were in the temple, okay? <laughs> Anyone caught outside the temple... This is serious, okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyone outside the temple was put to the sword. Oh, jeez. And eventually the temple itself caught on fire and everyone burned inside. <gasps> That's not okay. What, where did, what did you think was going to happen? No. <laughs> it's either the sword or fire. I, I would have preferred there was, the sword. There's, there's a reason for this and we'll talk about it at the end of the episode. When Tacitus starts I his... I have to wait till the end of the episode to understand what you just said. <laughs> I'm going to wait till the end of the episode to talk about the violence associated with Bodica. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> When Tacitus starts his story of Bodica, he almost comes across as sympathetic. But when he describes the destruction of the city, he remarks on the unrestrained violence of Bodica's army. Unlike the Romans, Bodica's army did not take prisoners or slaves. They did not discriminate between Roman soldiers and civilians, and this included women and children. Well, I mean, yeah, because this isn't a war for land. This is a war to get you off their land. Yeah, to get you off their land and to basically avenge what happened to their yeah to their, their own people. Own people, yeah. Like you fucked up. <laughs> when all was said and done, Camulodunum was destroyed. There were few, if any, survivors. And that's a symbol. You just destroyed yeah, Rome, essentially. That's exactly. Yeah. That was Rome. The, Ro- the main Roman pr- uh, presence yeah. within. It's Blue. really awful that innocent people got caught in the crossfire. But still, I but mean... I'm, I will be very curious to see your opinions on Bodica by, by the end of this. I mean, but, but at again, the end of the day, it's what she's fighting for. Well, at the end of the day, we also have to remember this story comes from Roman hands. Yeah, and so... Roman hands that have spilled a lot more blood in a lot crueler ways. Well, and again, you're going to make your enemy look... Yeah. As foreboding and bad as you can to justify your actions. I am the darkness. I am the darkness. (laughs) Sometime before the siege, the Roman legate Quintus Petilius Cerulius attempted to march to Camulodunum's aid with the Ninth Legion. Yeah, and we discussed this the legions between 4,000 and 6,000 soldiers. Anyway. They don't make it in time. Great. <laughs> Sounds great. And unfortunately for him, they happen to be ambushed by Bodica's troops on the way. And, uh, <laughs> you know, only a handful of Roman soldiers escaped from that. Oh, no. And just like that, due to sheer bad luck, one of the legions stationed in Britain had been completely wiped out by Bodica's troops. Oh, my God. I believe there were something like four legions placed in Britain. Oh, so gosh. they're down to three. Ooh, that's problematic. I mean, still a lot of people, but <laughs> yeah, damn, that's got to be a, a hit to your uh, already fragile egos. Now, hearing of the devastating defeat at Camulodunum, our mustache-twirling friend Decianus Catus runs away to Gaul. He's oh, gone. He runs away. He leaves. He out. <laughs> Goodbye. He's like, not. Nah, this is he's, not for me. He's like, I'm, I'm not doing this. <laughs> She's scary. <laughs> she scares the crap out of me. <laughs> Not wanting to lose the momentum they had gained at Camulodunum, Bodica wasted little time in marching her troops north. The next target was Londinium. If you look at your map, it's just a little bit to the north. I mean, if you know where London is. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's at this point that Gaius Suetonius Polinius finally enters the story. I'm just going to call him Suetonius going forward. (laughs) 
You'll remember he was up on the island of Mona subduing a large population of druids and killing everyone. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. So once he learns that Rome has lost Camulodunum, he leaves a small garrison behind on the island of Mona before taking the rest of his troops south to try and head Bodica off. Suetonius's men make it to Londinium first, but once he's there, he assesses his odds and comes to a bleak conclusion. Mm -hmm. There is no way he can defend the city without losing most of his men. Similar to Camulodunum, Londinium is mostly a center for trade and also has no walls. So he basically knows that the 10,000 Roman soldiers he has with him will not be able to withstand an open fight. And so he makes the hard decision to abandon the city to its face. This essentially to its face. I was like, <laughs> I don't think that's it. <laughs> to abandon the city to its fate. And also its face. <laughs> and its face. Its face. This essentially meant that all of the infirm, elderly, women and children were left behind to die. And just like Camulodunum, everyone in Londinium was killed. So I don't like that. Like, you don't have, a, like, there is, I mean... You don't like Bodica killing them, or you don't like Suetonius abandoning Both. them? Both. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... It's not great. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I, when I say I understand, take that with a fucking grain of salt. But I understand to a point, like, what happened in the city that starts with C that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Camulodunum. That's the one. Um, because there was a fight, and when you get fight, you all get incensed and blood crazy and don't pay attention. So... But here... So, uh, the other big thing is these are predominantly Roman citizens, uh, settlements, so most of these are Roman citizens, too. Yeah. There are some uh, Celtic allies. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But still. That's, that's not great. Oh, look, it that's works. That's not cool. You ready? You ready for I this? I don't think so. I want the... Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, this is actually really interesting. Okay. Um, well, not, not this first part. So, we're told <laughs> that the carnage was especially brutal. The most gruesome tales have the Britons mutilating the bodies of the dead. I'm going to go into this later okay. because there is some context we need to understand. And again, this is written by Roman yeah. pens. Yeah. But what we do know with absolute certainty is that Bodica burned the city to the ground and the fire was so extreme that it leaves archaeological evidence 13 feet under the soil of London. This layer of ash is referred to as the Bodican destruction layer. Whoa. Almost 2,000 years after the fact, we are still able to uncover fragments of burned coins, pottery, and grain in a red layer of sediment that is approximately 16 inches deep. Damn! Yes. I got goosebumps. Yes. That's insane. Yeah. That's, that's aggressive. That's very aggressive. That's very aggressive. Just gives you an idea of how hot that fire was. Yeah. Yeah. So my... Remember when I said, like, I understand to a certain extent? There is a line in which we cross that I'm going to stop understanding, and I feel like Bodica is going to Bodica is going to surpass that line. Um, we'll talk about it. Okay, <laughs> we will talk about it. I I wanted to make sure that there wasn't just like, oh yeah, she's a freedom fighter. Lots of people died. Yeah, yeah. Now, following the destruction of Londinium, Bodica's troops kept up the pace and immediately turned north to march on the city of Verulamium. Yeah. I hate that name. Sounds made up. <laughs> uh, you don't have you have no idea how many times I practice that and I'm still <laughs> fucking it up. Verulamium was another deliberate target. It was located in the area controlled by the Cantilani tribe. This was the native enemy tribe to both the Iceni and the Trinavantes tribes. Oh. 
but especially the latter because it was the Cantalani that had allied with Rome and assisted them with taking the city of Camulodunum from the Trinovantes in the first place. Uh-oh. Those names all suck. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> I don't even want they're, to They're great, them. I just can't say them. <laughs> On top of that, Verulamium was a pro-Roman city. Ooh, you should... I'm sorry, but if you're a pro-Roman city and you're hearing about this woman coming in with the fire that's still a problem to this day, maybe <laughs> don't. So it's been suggested that this city was a municipium, which basically meant that it would have been a free city. This status would have afforded the city with a unique level of self-governance. Their citizens even had an opportunity to make themselves Roman citizens if they so chose, thus abandoning whatever native claims they would have had and eventually earning the rights enjoyed by Roman citizens. So none of you are a woman. Great. Sorry. (laughs) Sounds like a great trade, guys. (laughs) Now, of the three cities that were destroyed, um, Verulamium, we have very little information about it um and it has been suggested that rather than destroy the entire town Bodica and her forces instead targeted um roman shops within the city that's fair and the the ash layer underneath londinium isn't present here okay now when all is said and done the numbers of dead from all three settlements totaled approximately seventy thousand roman citizens again This number may have been exaggerated, but the events of this rebellion were swift and fast, and all occurring within the span of one year. Damn. Yes. That's a lot of people. Yes. (laughs) And so we finally come to the end. Oh, really? What? Uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah, kind of. Okay. So right now we're at the final battle. Um, But the thing is, you don't really know the exact location of the final battle. Yeah, um, we do know it. That's interesting. It probably took place somewhere along the Roman road, which was um, it started as an ancient Britain road that merchants used. Yeah, and then the Romans came along. They used it to help expand their empire, and they paved it. Gotcha. Um, so probably somewhere along there, um, I'm gonna set the final scene for you. Oh my god, I'm excited. Do this. So somewhere along the Roman road, in the middle of a forest, and likely near a ford or a river, Suetonius chose a narrow location to bottleneck the oncoming horde of Britons, in an effort to negate the numbers they had. Suetonius's legions are at the bottom of the hill, gorge, whatever you want to call it. Whatever it is. Boudicca's forces have the upper ground. On the one side were the Brits, bare-breasted with not but a shield to protect them and a sword to fight with. Is it really bare-breasted, or is this just one of them? Yeah. Okay. I mean... Power to you. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they didn't... They They're didn't... very intimidating and distracting. <laughs> it's not all boobs. It's just... It's men and their pecs. You said women. Well, all of them. The uh, army. So the whole okay. point is... The whole point is the army doesn't... They don't wear armor. Gotcha. They just They're have... barbarians. Yes, they just have their... You can't see me gesticulating. Rachel's like weirdly voguing in front of me right now. <laughs> But they, they have, they their, have their, bow helmets. They have their giant shields. That's like their only form of defense. They're shieldless. No, they're they don't have armor. Ah, okay. But they have shields. Sorry, I'm ruining your scenes. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> anyway, I have so many questions. Bodica's Britons boasted of their strength and resilience. Their bravery was evidenced by the fact that they did not need to hide behind armor like their Roman counterparts. 
and they were equally resilient against the elements, feeling neither heat nor cold. The Britons are said to have been so confident of their victory that they brought their wives and children with them, who sat in wagons at the back of the battlefield to watch the fight as if it were a sport. It's literally a sporting event. Yeah. Oh my god. And just as Caesar had first described the Britons as wearing a strange blue paint all over their skin called woad from the, I think it's Acidus tinctoria plant. Sure. Anyway, it's from a plant. If you put water on it, it like makes blue plate. Yes. You know, there's more of a process, I'm sure. It's more of a scientific <laughs> process, but we're just going to go with the dumbed-down version. It's fine. <laughs> now, the accounts from the final battle also suggest the Britain warriors had painted themselves blue or used the dye to color their tribal tattoos. The Celts often fought at dusk and dawn because the coloring served as a form of camouflage in the woods. Never. It contributed to the mythos that they were barbarian demons that could appear and disappear at will when in the foliage of the forest. Do you think get away with doing that at work? Just like totally. randomly appearing in woad? Like, <laughs> Why would that be an issue? And then like slowly <laughs> like, you know, fading into the cubicle. <laughs> now the Brit tribes have the numbers and momentum on their side but they are all undisciplined with little to no military training in most cases. And although they have pillaged and burned three cities, they are largely untested in the face of a legitimate Roman army. Who have room to maneuver and do all their... Their magical tactics, yeah. Yeah. Now on the other side is Suetonius's... I think it's his second legion? I think. It's his legion, whatever number that was. (laughs) (laughs) And a number of auxiliary troops that total in number around 10,000. That's a lot of people. Well, they're 10,000, and, uh... <laughs> oh, no. So... I don't, I don't like that nervous laugh. <laughs> they are at best facing odds of 10 to 1. At oh. worst, it may be as high as 20 to 1, as the highest numbers of this battle put Bodica's army at over 200,000 men. Whoa. Unlike the Britons, the Romans are fully armored, and they are disciplined, their movement as a unit having been drilled into each and every soldier from the moment they entered the Roman army. I don't understand how they can move in that armor. I never understood it. You're, like, way down. That's not light armor. Yeah, you don't have to move fast. I mean, you shuffle. <laughs> you just shuffle. Wait, hold still. <laughs> but when you're going up again, I mean, that kind of, they kind of have the advantage. The Brits kind of have the advantage because they can move really, really quickly. Armor. You would think they have the advantage. I would, yeah, I know. I know they don't, but... So, Suetonius had the following to say to his troops. I'm going to do my best masculine voice. I'm really um, concerned. I'm just going to do my Rachel voice. Okay, because I'm sorry, I wouldn't have been able to... No, you know what? I want to get the masculine voice. Ignore the racket. <laughs> Let's not do that. <laughs> okay. Oh my god, no. Can I... Before you say this beautiful speech... In drama, we did radio radio shows. Yeah. I was always a male voice. <laughs> and it's great in theory because my voice is obviously a lower octave. But yeah, then you like, go and like you try to speak in a male voice on purpose and it's like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> like, you just get really I'm, weird. I've never been an actor. I'm always a writer. So I'm like, I'm just going to read it. <laughs> I'll try to put some oomph into it. Oh. But okay. Ignore the racket made by these savages. There are more women than men in their ranks. They are not soldiers. They're not even properly equipped. We've beaten them before, and when they see our weapons and feel our spirit, they'll crack. Stick together, throw javelins, then push forward. Knock them down with your shields and finish them off with your swords. Forget about plunder. Just win, and you'll have everything. Damn, that's a good speech. 
but also feel let them feel our spirits kind of little sexual a little bit yeah i hate to say it well, i'm 14 but oh. um we'll get to that it, it there, yeah okay there's a you're you're thinking in the right direction oh no. yeah okay we'll get to that god damn it i hate what i'm writing that in that <laughs> we're told that during this battle bodica waited until the very last minute to reveal herself as the leader of the army this is essentially the first time Suetonius would have faced her army in earnest and recognized their leader to be a woman. When she reveals herself, she rides out in front of her army on a chariot with her two daughters at her side. She appears as the indisputable leader, and she rides her chariot up and down the lines of her gathered troops and rallies them all with another speech. The gods stand by just vengeance, a legion that dared battle has fallen. The rest are hiding in their camps and considering flight. Neither the uproar nor shouting of so many thousands nor the attack and combat will be endured. If you Britons consider the abundance of troops, the motivations for war, you would realize that our battle line must conquer or fall. This is the intention of a woman. You men may live and serve. So Bodica has announced that as a woman, she has no intention to live and serve. She will fight for freedom, or she will die with a sword in her hand. And she has essentially challenged the men in her troops to elevate themselves to the bravery and strength a woman has displayed, and do the same themselves. Yeah. Boda- I would do the same thing. I would, there's no way. Yeah. Serve under Ralph. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, Bodica's army was said to have charged at the sound of a war horn. The Romans responded as a unit, holding their ground, and unleashed a volley of javelins at the unarmed horde that charged them. A second volley followed shortly thereafter. Bodica's army was mowed down in a matter of minutes. Oh no. The Roman legions then pressed forward, fighting the rebel army in hand-to-hand combat until forcing the retreat of Bodica's troops into the woods. Despite outnumbering the Romans by overwhelming odds, Bodica's forces were annihilated. She may have had the numbers, but her army was largely undisciplined, and Suetonius exploited that fact. Suetonius' strategic location and disciplined forces had won the day. Tacitus tells us that as many as 80,000 Britons were killed compared to only 400 Roman soldiers. Um, Again, these numbers might be exaggerated to, like, make the Romans look really good. Yeah, but still. We don't know. Still a lot of people who die. Yes. Once the Britons were put to flight, the Romans chased them down in the woods, murdering some and capturing others. He also tells us that the carnage was especially brutal, with the Romans abandoning the usual practice of leaving women and animals alone. They were not excluded this time. Many of the fleeing Brits were also trapped by the wagons they had brought their families in, and as many people died while being crushed against the wagons when attempting to flee as those that found themselves at the end of a Roman sword. Yeah, not great. No, that's terrible. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I never promised this story would have a happy ending. Yeah, we all knew it didn't have a happy ending. (laughs) We all just were like, we got into it for a second. So we have a couple of different stories that recall the final moments of Bodica. Unfortunately, they're very short. According to Tacitus, Bodica stayed true to her word and decided to poison herself rather than submit to a life of servitude in Rome. Similar to Cleopatra, she opted for suicide rather than let herself be paraded in chains in a Roman triumph. Yeah. Cassius Dio's description of her death is less glamorous. 
he suggests that she simply got sick and died. Fuck off, Jackie. Okay? <laughs> Can't even deal with you right now. <laughs> Following her death, the Britons are said to have given her a lavish funeral that likely would have involved cremation. With her death went the heart of the fight and the few that remained following the battle. Boudicca's death marked the end of the revolt. Rome has triumphed in Britain. Ew. Fuck Rome. <laughs> <laughs> so I know I mentioned I was saving kind of my uh, my thoughts on the violence of Boudicca. So I'm going to go into that right now. Okay. So Tacitus gave Boudicca the title of Du Femina, which is Latin for female commander. Both Tacitus and Cassius Dio compared Boudicca to the Amazons of legend, who were female warriors said to almost have mythical powers. But they were also coded in Roman literature as strictly other, and operated outside the expectations and restraints of gender norms. Because they didn't sit down and shut up. Yeah. <laughs> now the misogyny of Rome is very prevalent in their art and their sculptures, as conquered regions are often personified as literal female figures. The figure of Britannica is an actual woman with a shield in her hand. There is a sculpture that exists of Claudius conquering Britannica, and in it, Claudius is naked with only a cloak. Britannica wears a toga, but her breast is bare, and Claudius has her by the hair and drags her to the floor. This is the proper place for which Romans viewed their conquered peoples. Fuck off. <laughs> now, my main source for this episode was... Caitlin Giuseppe's Bodica. She notes that the violation of non-Roman female bodies often accompanied the sack of a city. It was particularly sexually charged in nature. Bodica's soldiers, conversely, did not take prisoners or subject anyone to sexual assault that followed a Roman victory, typically. They practiced a more scorched-earth tactic, destroying everyone and everything in their path. Their preferred forms of execution included the gallows, fire, and crucifixion. These forms of execution were predominantly employed by the Romans. It's likely Boudicca chose these forms of execution on purpose to highlight the violence dished out by Romans and treat them to some of their own medicine. She essentially punishes them just as a Roman master would have punished a slave. Yeah, that's symbolism for you. Although Boudicca did not take any prisoners, Cassius Dio tells us that Boudicca was particularly brutal and aware of the Roman custom to rape the women of the people they conquered. This is where we get the most gruesome tales of what her army did to the female Roman citizens they killed. Dio tells us that Boudicca's soldiers mutilated the bodies of these women. This is where it gets gruesome. They cut off their breasts and placed them in the mouths after death. They would also impale them on stakes. Dio also claims that these mutilations were done in the name of Andraste and given to her as tribute. The women that were targeted were all wealthy and noble women that would have been Roman citizens. Dio tells us that these mutilations occurred in a grove of sacred trees as a sort of grotesque reversal of what had happened on the island of Mona with the Druids. But mind you, the thing I want you to remember is Cassius Dio wrote approximately 50 years after Tacitus. Tacitus mentions nothing of these ritualistic mutilations in his writings, and his father had actual first-hand accounts of the revolt because he was stationed in Roman Britain at the time. Tac Tacitus' father? Yes. Gotcha. <clears throat> we do not get any contemporary reports from Boudicca's side of the war, and so her voice remains silent on the matter. Yeah. I, with how... Um 
women hating Cassius Dioses and how much he hates his mother, I would think that that's more of a projection of what he. We don't know that he hated. I was saying. <laughs> so Cassius, the way he's writing, it feels like <laughs> Cassius Dio, his version of Boudicca is again the more barbarian sort, and he's yeah. the one that really goes in to talk about how Boudicca criticized Nero calling him a woman yeah. in her speech. I didn't include it because I was like, this is stupid. This, this is you projecting. This <laughs> yeah. is not Bodica. Yeah. Um, but he also talks about the ritualistic um, sacrifice yeah. and, yeah, all the brutality. The interesting thing that would serve against these claims is there are very few bones that have been excavated from any of the sites, which yeah. suggests that they actually went to retrieve the dead and gave them proper barriers, yeah. which would have been cremation. Yeah. So. I mean, that makes sense. But it sounds like he is more, again, I'm obviously biased. Yes. <laughs> but it sounds more like he is trying to make her as villainous and dark yes. and awful and, oh my God, this is why Rome did this. Instead of, well, she was he, literally protecting her family and her people he, from Rome. <laughs> so they, they both do say that this occurs because Roman has degraded in morality. And if Rome acted properly in the way it should have, it wouldn't have happened. It never would have happened. Mm -hmm. It never would have had a reason to happen. Yeah. But again, Cassius Dio's version of her is the more scary version. Yeah. But Rome has a habit of yeah. taking the blame and the responsibility off of them. Yeah. And putting it on this, this, and completely this insanely villainized person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Following the death of Bodica, Suetonius enacts his own form of scorched earth tactics on her lands. Anyone that survived the final battle is sold into slavery. Wow. Rome will continue to subdue the island. Famine hits not long after and ravages the land and people. And the Druids will never again rise to the power they once held in the land. The end. That's just kidding. Oh my god! <laughs> what if I left You're it? You're an asshole. <laughs> All right, I gotta. Yeah, you. Fucker. I gotta. I'll never trust anything ever again. I had a couple more things. If you say the end one more time, I'm like, are you fucking sure? <laughs> you think I would end on that note? This I isn't about know. sometimes you do weird Suetonius. shit. This is about Bodica, so I've got some more stuff for you. <laughs> okay. Suetonius is eventually removed from Britannica after it's made clear that the natives of the island will never rest so long as he remains, and they'll continue to be troublesome for the duration of Roman occupation. Suetonius is also denied a triumph back in Rome. Oh, shit. Bodica was spared the treatment Cleopatra received following her death, and no effigies were paraded in Rome, nor were any sculptures made to immortalize her defeat. Interesting. I wonder why. Do you say why? Um, Are you about to tell me why? <laughs> no, I I think Rome had this weird respect for her. Yeah. Because she was defending her family, and yeah. that was still a feminine virtue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's my like, speculation. Guys, we already fucked this up real bad. Let's not, like, make it a thing. Yeah. Let's just brush it under the rug. Now, her memory was forgotten for nearly a thousand years in Britain before a monk discovered Tacitus's writings and transcribed it. This brought Bodica back to life, and in the centuries that followed, her story becomes appropriated in accordance with whatever prevailing beliefs existed at the time and whatever agenda was needing a push. Elizabethan writers praised her feminism. When the Stuarts came to power, her story was romanticized and her power was given over to Caradagus. 
the leader of the first revolt in Britannica against Rome. When Queen Victoria comes to power, Boudicca's nationalism is the focus as Britain, ironically, becomes an empire all its own and spreads its imperialistic tendrils across the globe. Boudicca is recognized today as a beacon of resistance and national pride in Britain. She is a ferocious lioness that defended her daughters, a proud queen that fought for the freedom of her people, and a resilient and at times vicious renegade that took on the Roman Empire at its height and damn near won the day. Yes. The end. Sure? <laughs> yes. Are you positive? I am positive. <laughs> Is that a better ending? Yes. <laughs> oh, man. That's and that's Bodica. That's crazy. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. She's a, she's a very um, interesting, polarizing figure. I know... I know a lot of modern day people try to downplay some of the violence. I thought it was important to mention it, but also mention the context for which we get her story. Like it's not from her, it's from her enemies. So yeah. Anyway, so my sources for this episode today were the book, Boudicca, Warrior Woman of Roman Britain by Caitlin Giuseppe, Wikipedia and historic-uk.com. The Other Half podcast has an, uh, I think it's a two-part series on Bodica. I, I listened to it to try to get the pronunciation. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, again, The Other Half is one of my favorite podcasts. It's all about badass women. Um, but the, the dude who does it, he's British. The dude who does it. <laughs> he's British. He's like this nerdy British guy and I, yes. I love his voice um, but I was like yeah you're British you probably know the names <laughs> yeah, I, we would hope you knew some of the names <laughs> and then as mentioned I also watched the episode on Bodica um, from Warrior Women which is on Amazon Prime yeah yeah is it on Amazon Prime yeah I'm pretty sure oh I watched it on YouTube <laughs> oh yeah it's, on, yeah it's on Prime yeah I watched it on YouTube you can watch it on Prime too oh cool yeah. oh yeah yeah that's so sad that that show only has like five episodes. Lucy Lawless. Lawless. Yeah, dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, the one guy on the episode uh, for uh, Granuel. <laughs> you could tell that guy had stars in his eyes for her, and I was like, me too, bro. Me for Granuel? Yeah, Lucy for, Lawless. for Lucy Lawless. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who would? <laughs> I know. <laughs> we all do, honey. It's Xena, Warrior Princess. All right, so we are down to, well, the first one's not a random question. Um, first question is, was Bodica more difficult or more damsel? She's difficult. Which is very difficult. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, it's not really a question. I mean, um, uh, what happened to her family? She could have been. She could have, yeah, she could have gone the other quote, way. unquote, damsel. But yeah, no, she was like the epitome of, I will not have any of this. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck your shit. <laughs> yeah, that's a short question. I know we had like parameters last time, but she was never kidnapped. Um, she was never exiled. I mean, you can technically consider. She wasn't kidnapped. She was more like their lands were invaded and. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. We don't know that she was necessarily married off as a child. Like, it's. Possible. Yeah. But she was very know. young. Yeah. Like, like 30 or 31. That's true. Um, and then as far as parameters for being difficult, kill a lot of people. Yeah, oh my God, a lot of people. God, what were other parameters? Um, she held the position of leadership. She 
very much defied gender norms. That was oh my god, yeah. Like, that's why Rome <laughs> wrote about her because they were like they didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. So Bodica definitely very difficult. Very, very, very difficult. <laughs> um, okay, so our other question. I kind of I really liked your question from last time and like the two parts to it. So. Oh, that was so long ago, Rachel. I know. It was Tuesday night when I edited. <laughs> All right. So the question is, if you were to exist in the ancient Iron Age, ancient, so the ancient age era, the yeah, ancient, ancient era, era <laughs> the Iron Age era, or the medieval times era, <laughs> what would your role in that society be? Um, so two-part question. It's what do you think I would pick? And I'll say what I think. Yeah. you would be your pick and then yeah. we'll reveal the answers i like it you're totally going first because okay. i'm unprepared today <laughs> so i was thinking you would be a shield maiden you would be legertha oh, yeah. you would potentially <laughs> if, if you were in a warrior based society you would have the opportunity to prove yourself in battle and then come to leadership that way yes. yeah i definitely <laughs> see you with like like, even kind of like Bodica, like, war paint, oh your hair God. in braids with, like, a shield in one hand and a sword in another. You probably, like, did the tattoos on your face yourself. Probably. It's very much how I picture you. I love this. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Now I have to follow that? What do you think I would pick? Oh, my God. I don't know. <laughs> Wait, are we going, are we staying with, like, real stuff or, like, fake stuff? It's totally up to you. I don't care. I feel like you're yeah. Like a sorceress? Yeah, you would totally be a sorceress. Would I be like... Or people would think that you were a sorceress. Whether you were or were not. People, you'd so be I witchy like, enough to... Am I like the witch on the outskirts of town that like does abortions for people and also like fertility drugs and yeah. cures ailments? Yeah. Yeah. Or am I just like a scholar that people are like, she's... That one might have. Magic. She's she's really smart, so she's it's obviously magical. <laughs> <laughs> it's witchery and sorcery. Yeah, sorcery. <laughs> you guys, she just cracked a fucking book. Yeah. <laughs> she can read. Oh my god! Oh, no. You oh, if we were together in this time, you would totally be like my witchy woman. <laughs> so, so okay. So what what did you pick for yourself? I uh, would. So there's two parts to it depends on the time frame okay but because i love druids and they're yeah they're um and they're very into the natural world and its powers and yeah all that stuff obviously i'm into the natural world and everything so that's pretty cool and i'm like just obsessed with druids so yeah it's good <laughs> i think that would be interesting plus just having all that knowledge and everyone being scared because you have knowledge so i want to be my deal yeah but then if it was just like a random like thing i think i'd want to be a, a merchant because you can like travel the world <laughs> yeah that's cool yeah maybe one day i'll be able to talk about like the italian bankers Ooh, because yeah. they funded everything they funded kingdoms yeah. they funded the popes yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were the secret rulers <laughs> yeah um uh, what would you what would you be you're not far story? off so i was thinking i would be a seer yes. of some sorts so i would find a way to operate to operate outside the gender norms of the time and like yeah. be independent. I don't um, know if you guys caught that, but there's a theme to both of ours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I was thinking of the oracles from Rome, um, a little bit of the Vestal Virgins, but I like the oracles specifically because they're able to like 
prophesized the future and they they still worked with the leadership and then i love seers in both like norse culture and um the britons had their seers too kind of linked to the druids warrior queen yeah shield maiden would be my awesome seer yes yeah (laughs) who's everyone's like are they married it's like what's going on here And we don't reveal oh, it when we're no, together. No. You'll it's never like, know. It's a mystery. Doesn't matter. We may have guys on the <laughs> side, but you don't know if they're like our real husbands or have not. have a harem. <laughs> we totally would. I ride to battle on a cat dragon. Yes. What would you... I totally see that, actually. What would you do for, like, like a boring job? Like, merchant? Like, what would you pick? I would be a healer. Not boring job, but you know what I mean. I like would a... be, like, the local town healer. I like it. Yeah. I would... Or, like, apothecary. So I would want to be the type of person that you need to know, like, oh, I, I got poisoned in the woods. I yeah. need I need a cream to heal it. I would be the person that's just very knowledgeable about the local fauna. Yes. And be a, like, in a society that values that sort of thing, I yeah. would just be your local healer or seer that you go to for whatever. And if I'm in a uh, more closed-minded society, I'm probably the weird woman on the edge of the woods that might be a witch. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't see myself that way. I'm just there to And we'd meet people. because someone would challenge me to go into the house. We're like, fine, I got this. <laughs> and then I come in and I'm like, God, she's like really cool. <laughs> like, I'm like, would you like some tea? And I'm like, oh, yes, I love some tea. You I offered me some c- cinnamon, vanilla, chamomile yes. tea. <laughs> I'm like, are you, over with tea. are you having trouble sleeping? I just randomly just ask going, you that question. We just go into our own little therapy treehouse and yes. it's like, we're best friends. Like that would totally happen. Would be in a treehouse. Yeah. <laughs> yes, oh let's write it. <laughs> it would. It would be like, a, but like a wood elf treehouse. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love wood elf. Yeah, I like stuff. Put stuff on my cat. And oh, where is he? Where, where is she? I don't know. <laughs> There's just her chest in the air. Is he put that away? <laughs> She's so, bare-breasted. The Romans are gonna see and try the to conquer. She's trying to intimidate them. She hasn't put her woe on her. Oh, look at her. She's so cute. Oh, my God. Are you serious? She's upside down. She's so cute. Anyway, you guys have been listening to (laughs) Difficult Dances. Oh, yeah. This is a podcast. We have to end it. (laughs) Yeah. You can reach us at difficult.damsels at gmail.com. We yeah. have any, sorry, suggestions for episodes. <laughs> it's okay. I was into it. <laughs> We're also on Facebook and Instagram. And yeah. Yeah. Um, please <laughs> rate, review, and subscribe wherever you yes. get your podcast. Yes. And Tell stay... all your friends. And then stay difficult. Stay difficult. <laughs> okay, I stay this. Nah, I can't talk. Oh my god. <laughs> Bye. Bye.